You're listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast. You're listening to episode 468 and I'm your co-host, Brittany Martin. I'm lucky to be joined with co-hosts from other beloved podcasts today. Hello there, Joelle Quenville from The Bike Shed. Good morning. Joel, where are you? So I am currently in the great state of Georgia. We recently attended RailsConf in Atlanta and my flight back home got canceled. So what's your plan for today then? Luckily, I get to work remotely. I had my laptop with me and so I'm able to get things done. Awesome. Well, I'm glad that you were able to make the recap today. And welcome Drew Bragg from Code and the Coding Coders Who Code It. Good morning. It's great to have you, Drew. Thank you for getting up early for me. Absolutely. Anytime. And as Joelle said, we're here today to recap RailsConf 2023. We're going to do some thanks. We're going to talk about some highlights, some lowlights, and then some other topics that we wanted to cover today. So it's really great that I'm getting to recap the conference with people that were with me. So first of all, I want to thank the organizers and the staff of the conference. I know how much work it takes. And I actually didn't get a final count of how many people were there. But an incredible amount of work went into RailsConf 2023. And I just want to thank everyone for their work. And I hope that they got to have a restful weekend. Yeah, absolutely. It was definitely a lot of people. And I have not personally organized a conference yet, but I know a lot of people who have, and it just does not seem easy. So a conference for that many people cannot be easy. So a lot of work went into it. So huge thank you to everyone at Ruby Central that put it on. Yeah, huge shout out. All right, well, let's actually talk about some highlights. So funny enough, all three of us actually had a speaking slot during the conference. Now, I was one of the co-hosts for the podcast panel. Drew and Joelle, you were actually selected by the program committee to speak. So Joelle, you were one of the earliest to go. So how did your session go? My session went really well. Uh, I gave a talk on the math every programmer needs, talking a little bit about the field of discrete math and various elements that are useful in day-to-day work as Rails developers. And I think maybe because it was a math talk, the organizers put it in the first slot after the opening keynote on Monday morning, which is, I think, the best slot you can get at a conference. So I was really excited to speak then. I completely agree. I ran into Eileen in the hotel and we were talking about her keynote. And I was like, you got the best keynote slot because you were the first to go. That's always the most attended talk of the entire conference. So I completely agree, Joelle. Like the programming committee angels were looking out for you. Was this a brand new talk for you to do? Yes, I had not given that before. I was really excited to share about this. This actually came up from an episode on the bike shed where we're talking about discrete math and how it's valuable. And after I finished recording... I had a conversation with Sarah Jackson, who was my guest for that episode. And she was like, you know, that would make a good conference talk. And I checked the calendar and I saw, oh, it's the last day for the RailsConf CFP. Let's see if I can turn this into a proposal. I'd already submitted something else, but you know, that was kind of the one I got all fired up and passionate about. And it must have shown through because that's what the organizers picked. I love that. Now, Drew, on the flip side, you were one of the... Well, you were on day two, but one of the last slots of the day. So tell us about your session and how it went. I did my Ruby game show again, I guess. It was my first time doing it at RailsConf, but I had previously done it at RubyConf Mini and at Sin City Ruby. There are no videos of that one, though. 
I think it went well. I got a lot of great feedback. It was standing room only. And I was in one of the bigger rooms, which was a little on the terrifying side because I really thought everyone was going to be at the podcast panel or at the other two talks. And I just look out in a sea of people. So panicked a little bit, but I was in my groove. I was getting the audience to laugh. Everyone seemed to have a good time. My contestants were awesome. And I got a lot of great feedback afterwards. So I'm pretty happy that people had a great time. I love that. Joelle, you actually competed, didn't you? I did. I got selected last minute to be a contestant. As all of my contestants do. I don't know who my contestants are until about 15 minutes before the talk. And it makes it uber fun. I'm bummed I missed the keynote that morning because it was on improv. And I'm like, I could use improv help because I improv a lot of that talk because I don't know who my contestants are until right before. But Joelle was an awesome contestant. How do you control the timing during a talk like that? I don't. I just wing it and hope for the best. That's part of the reason why we ran over on time. They said, have your talk be about a half hour, but we had 45 minute slots and I used 46 minutes. So I was pushing it. Oh, that's pretty good, though. I think one criticism that I will say around the scheduling is, as you noted, the podcast panel was during your session. And so Jason, Paul, and I went to the podcast panel to get set up with all of our equipment ahead of time. And we realized that the session ahead of us had nobody in that keynote slot. And we just stood there and we're like, Drew should have had this slot because it just would have been very popular. It was a large room, lots of seats. And if you were standing room only, as a couple of the talks were, I went to Nate Berkepeck's talk on day one. It wasn't even close to standing room only. There were people who had spilled into the hallway. And so I don't know how they can solve for this, but just knowing the general interest and being able to match that to the room, I think would have really helped this conference out. Yeah, I was impressed by how many of the technical talks were just standing room or spilling out into the hallway. Like the technical talks were super popular. And I could be remembering wrong, but I feel like that wasn't always the case at past conferences, that the tech talks were there and these types of conferences were actually slightly less technical than some of the companion ones, the RouseConf specifically. But yeah, a lot of the more technical talks seemed really popular this year. I agree. Joel, do you feel the same? Yeah, I've definitely been to past Rails comps where I had to stand in the back of a room for a talk. But I think we definitely had some popular talks this time. Part of it comes down to the speaker. If they're a known, really good or entertaining speaker or someone who has a reputation for deep expertise on a topic, I think that is a magnet that brings people in. Yeah, I feel the same way. I try to mix that up in terms of known speakers versus unknown. So when people come up to me and ask me for recommendations of speakers to see, like I definitely have some in my pocket. So I knew that Adam Cuppy was going to be a fabulous speaker. And then immediately after Adam Cuppy was Andy Kroll. And like, they're just pretty famous in our community for just really amazing delivery and just really impactful talks. And so those were good, sure bets. And I always have to remind myself too, it's a multi-track conference. There's always going to be FOMO. And so you're going to kind of have to get past that and you know, eventually these talks will come out so you can watch them later. So it's fun to compare notes with people that you fanned out to other tracks. Am I remembering correctly? But the first day, Joel, when you were giving your talk, there were five other talks going on at the same time. I think it was just the regular four okay. other talks in the other rooms. 
I had that screwed up for some reason. I had my schedule up and was like, wait, why are there so many things in this one slot? Maybe I miscounted, but I thought there was like six at one point during one talking slot. And was like, what's going on here? Why are there so many things? I'm used to the four all at the same time, but I thought there was six for some reason, but could have just been a different session. It was the exhibit hall opening. I imagine it was that. You know, on a positive note, I actually really like session eyes. I like being able to open the link and tell me what's happening now, what's happening next. I was a big fan of the scheduling software this time around. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk keynotes. We kind of had some varied keynotes and I admittedly missed Aaron Patterson's keynote. Now, granted, I got to interview him during the podcast panel and I got some teases about what he was going to talk about. But I'm curious if either one of you can kind of recap Aaron's keynote for me. I feel like for anyone who's listening who's not seen one of Aaron's talks, the first half of it is typically a bunch of jokes and a bunch of callbacks to everything else at the conference. Because Aaron typically finishes, he closes out the conference. And so it's all the in-jokes that happen during the conference, plus just a bunch of funny stuff that he's done his own. But he was giving a talk about language servers and how those can be maybe built into Rails and how we can take advantage of things that we already have in Rails to speak to our editors and either highlight things for us or even sometimes automatically modify code for us. So things like being able to hover over a URL helper and it telling you the route and the controller that that URL helper will go to because it's hard to memorize the rules for that. So maybe... Helping our editors demystify a little bit of Rails magic. Okay, so Aaron is basically trying to compete with JetBrains Ruby Mind, is what you're telling me. <laughs> building it into Rails. So hopefully oh, building it into mind. Rails. Oh, that's cool. So yeah. they would actually be able to consume that and be able to use yes. that. Oh, that's cool. Okay. Yeah. yeah, it's cool stuff what they're able to do just with all of that. The Rails version would be built on top of the Ruby LSP that the Shopify team is working on. and he showed like a demo and it was funny because he was showing like, look at what you can do. And he's like, by the way, I didn't actually write any of this. It was the other team that wrote this and here's the gem for it. But the notion or the idea of it is so cool and very exciting. Okay. That makes a lot of sense because it felt like from the keynotes that I saw that were excellent, that most of them were, this is how we've got to now. And this is how you contribute to now, but not a lot of things that were kind of forward thinking. So maybe it sounds like that's where Aaron's slot kind of came into play. Is that fair? I would agree. Okay. Do you currently use one service for uptime monitoring, another one for error tracking, another for status pages, and yet another to monitor your cron jobs and microservices? Paying for all those services separately may be costing you way more than you think. If you want to simplify your stack and lower your bills, it's time to check out Honey Badger. Honey Badger combines all of those services into one easy-to-use platform. It's everything you need to keep production healthy and your customers happy. Best of all, Honey Badger is free for small teams and setup takes as little as five minutes. Get started today at honeybadger.io. That is honeybadger.io. Thank you to Honey Badger for their continued support of the Ruby on Rails podcast. I guess one thing that I saw on Twitter that people were really missing, and honestly, I'm kind of missing it too, and I get why they're doing it, but there's no live streams anymore. 
So it used to be the keynotes for all live stream, major talks that were in there were live streamed. I would have loved it if the podcast panel had been live streamed and I could have been getting questions in real time. I get there's always Wi-Fi issues. It's always a risk to do a live stream. And Ruby Central has really changed it so that there's always a virtual component to the conference later once they have edited the videos and put them out there. But it is a very different vibe. You don't have the community who wasn't able to make the conference really celebrating it with you in real time. And again, they had to sacrifice staff in order to watch over that virtual component. But I will just say selfishly that I miss it. Was there a virtual component prior to COVID? I don't remember. There was. You could pay into it during the conference. So you would get access to the keynote room And well, the keynote was always available. You could just go on YouTube and watch the keynotes in real time. But there was always a virtual component where you got access to like Slack or Discord and you were able to participate that way. You obviously didn't get the full conference experience, but it was at least something. But that was the big difference. COVID broke it up so that one point it was all virtual and then it became physical and virtual completely separate weeks. Got it. Okay. Well, I am curious from you too, what was your favorite talk of the conference? One of the talks that I really appreciated was How to Say No by Ellie Meredith. I think that's such an important skill and I appreciated she covered it from a few different angles. How to say no, kind of going up the hierarchy, talking to your boss or maybe talking to customers. But then also as a manager, how do you say no, kind of going down, talking to the people that report to you? and how to maintain that that relationship. And she gave, I think it's a list of nine different strategies that she kind of named on how to say no. It was almost like design patterns for saying no. And I don't have all of them noted down, but she did share her slide deck. It was like, this is one that I'm going to take back to my colleagues and the work that I do day to day. I love that because something like that is around building habits. And so if that plants a seed in your head and you can just start to say no, like example, when your airline tells you that you need to accept your current flight situation. <laughs> yeah, just a little bit. But I, I think that's great. I'm definitely going to watch that talk because that is definitely something that I need to build a habit around. My favorite talk, I mentioned it already, was Nate Berkepex, How to Have the Slowest Rails App Ever. For me, any sort of technical talk, I need just a little bit of camp in it. And so he started off the talk explaining that we were aliens and that we were infiltrating Rails applications. And he was like our commander. And so he was giving us the instructions on how to make a Rails app faster. But remember, you do the opposite in order to make things slower. And I think my favorite part is when he said that VCs were invented just to funnel money from startups into Datadog. The entire room like lost their minds. It was so funny. (laughs) I am definitely using that again because it's so good. How about you, Drew? Oh, it is very difficult to pick just one. There was one on the first day. Daniel Huss gave one called The End of Legacy Code which I went to with one idea of what the talk was going to be in my head and left with a very different one. And it was less about the dealing or managing of your quote-unquote legacy code and more of a reframing how you think about legacy code and how you approach dealing with it in your applications from a 
it's still technical, but from a not, oh, hey, just go in there and refactor it, but almost creating like a cycle of constantly be onboarding so that you're always onboarding into that legacy code and you're reframing it as like, instead of it being legacy code, just sort of just like a new app. But I really liked it. I really liked the way that it was presenting it as let's change how we think about it rather than just always change it. Because that's as great as that is, it's not always feasible. So I enjoyed that one quite a bit. But there were so many good ones. It was put me on the spot there of trying to pick just one. My partner would have loved that talk. About two weeks ago, he woke up and his Mac had completely crashed out. And so he had to go get a new one from work. Luckily, you know, his office is actually based in Pittsburgh, not that he doesn't work from home. But he had to start anew and he's been in his job for eight years. And so he had to onboard again. And it was a complete mm-hmm. trash fire. Every single flip that he ran into, people would just say, oh, well, we know that. We know what option to put here. You weren't generous enough with how many gigs you gave this process. And he's like, we need to re-onboard. We have to redo all of this documentation. And so he had gone to his boss and said, hey, we need to have people on board every couple months because we're not in the hiring frenzy that we once were. And so we're not having people rapidly on board like we were in 2021. Yeah, there was a lot of that. Anytime you run into anything that's even a slight hiccup, make sure you're taking notes on how you solved it, not just to create documentation for yourself, but anyone else. You are sort of responsible for, especially when you're going into legacy code. Hey, this hasn't been touched in 10 years. Take very good notes on how you get it up and running because at some point it'll happen to happen again. So having those notes. But since you made me pick one to revisit what I was saying earlier, on the Monday at 1030 slot, the reason why I was confused about how many things were going on is because of the workshops. Because we had Adam Cuppy's talk, Daniel Huss's talk, Joel's talk. We had the active record encryption, the upgrading rails, the have two box will share, and the rails on the JVM with JRuby all going on at the same time. So that's why I was like, there's so much going on. How am I supposed to choose just one thing? There were so many good talks in that one slot, which was a interesting way to start a conference. It really is. And as the listeners might have seen on Twitter, and it's definitely going to be mentioned during the podcast panel, I'm currently injured. I have a broken ankle. And so I scooted throughout the entire conference. And I could do a whole separate podcast on just how much I've learned around accessibility in that regard. Some people were absolutely lovely. Some things made it really hard. But I will say that I tend to be someone who will go into a talk. And if I'm just not vibing with it, I'll leave. But when you're on a scooter, you can't do that. It's a spectacle when you leave a talk. And it's a spectacle when you come into a talk. So I scooted through one talk just because I was late. I got caught up in the hallway track and I realized the talk that I really wanted to go to was happening. So listeners, whenever the talks come out, if you could spot me scooting across one of the talks, please DM me and tell me because I was very self-conscious about it. And I was like, oh, well, where can I go? And Cindy from Comfreaks was like, you should sit in the front row. And I was like, oh, I feel bad. And she's like, that's what the front row was for. And so it's just very funny in that regard. But I will say that having an injury during a conference when you're trying to see as many people as possible and whatnot, not the best. I am proud of the fact that I was able to pull it off, but I don't recommend going to a conference injured. I appreciate everyone who offered to help me. On the last day, I was taking a lift by myself and I was a little nervous about getting my luggage and my scooter into the car. 
and someone ran across the street and was like, hi, Brittany, like I'm a longtime listener of the podcast. Is there anything I can do to help you? And I was like, if you could just wait one minute and help me load this car, that would be incredible. And then rolled down the window, gave them a bunch of stickers. So thank you. Thank you, listener, for running up. It was so nice to meet you. And you reminded me of another great talk. Joel Hawksley gave Accessible by Default, which had a nice intro to why accessibility is important, not just the technical bits of how they're solving it at GitHub, but why it's so important in the three different tiers of the types of disabilities and why we have to not just think about like, yeah, screen readers, that's it. No, there's so much more than that. I thought that was a really good one. And when you said this injury reframed my thoughts on accessibility, it made me think about that talk. Accessibility is not just a boxy check. It's something you have right. to build in from the beginning. Completely agreed. Hi, everyone. It's Brian, your co-host. And to me, connecting developers and startups has been the best job in the world. When I founded Mirror Placement in 2006, I didn't know anything about recruiting other than what I had learned while growing my software agency. My developer colleagues really disliked recruiters. And since developers are just about the nicest people I know, I thought, what could recruiters be doing so badly that causes my good-natured friends to despise them so much? And it turned out a lot. Their horror stories included tales of jobs and companies that didn't exist, of recruiters not sharing the name of the company they were recruited for, and frequently, the anonymous, well-funded tech startup whose job descriptions sounded a lot like a word salad of technical buzzwords. I learned about having your resume spammed out to a dozen of companies without your consent. I heard of last minute salary and title changes after many hours of invested time and in interviewing. And I have to admit, when I listened to all of these tales, I couldn't help but think it could be so much better. So I gave it a shot. And thanks to you, 16 years later, it is better. You've shown that radical transparency works and that for developers and startups, pursuing long-term relationships at the expense of short-term transactions is always the right call. Together, we've made a difference at hundreds of startups and seeing careers blossom and startups change the world has been a great privilege. And I am so thankful to you for giving me this seat and to Brittany for sharing this podcast. So I just wanted to say thank you for allowing me to help accelerate your career and your startup and to know that I'm rooting for you in the next step of your journey. Thanks. One session that I was really excited about that didn't ultimately live up to my expectations was the Ruby Central Town Hall. The idea behind it was that it was going to be this open forum and it was going to be like a Q&A. And what ultimately what the session was, was putting up various questions around the room and having people contribute ideas, which I think is important and something that they should always be doing. However, I thought the session was going to be more about like asking like difficult questions and talking things out. And we just didn't have enough time. And so I think the intention behind the session was great. I think it probably deserved more time. And I think it deserved more direction in terms of what was going to be the ultimate outcome from that session. Did either of you end up going to that session as well? I did not. I did the hallway track during that slot. Yeah, the hallway track was definitely my favorite track of this entire conference. It was just really great to see everybody and to meet new people and kind of match faces to voices. Honestly, I thought the quality of the talks were great. I could have just done a conference where it was just the hallway track, to be honest, but we needed a reason to come together, right? I hear that so much people talking about, like, I don't even need the talks. I'm just here for the people. And I hear a lot of ideas floating of conferences with very 
light schedules. Like you've got a morning talk and an afternoon talk and like a closing talk. And then it's hallway track. I would go to that conference in a heartbeat. That sounds awesome. I went to a conference. It was Sin City, wasn't it? Sin City, where it was a 30 minute talk slot and then a 30 minute break. 30 minute talk slot, then 30 minute break. And I was like, oh, this is going to get like real annoying real fast. Oh no, it was awesome. It was absolutely awesome because everyone felt invigorated to go back to the talks. I missed very few talks during that conference just because everybody, like it was such a tiny conference. Everybody was going back in to do that. As someone who's done a lot of conferences in the last year, while I enjoyed RailsConf a lot, it felt like a different vibe than it has been in the past. And I don't know if people are burnt out, if people are tired, or there's just a lot happening this year. But I'm curious if you two felt like the vibe was different than past RailsConf and RubyConfs in the past. It did feel maybe a little bit smaller. And I don't know if it's actually smaller or if it's just the venue. The America's Mart in Atlanta is a bit of a weird venue. It's an old brutalist structure with the giant concrete pillars, the keynote rooms are like just incredibly huge, but they then kind of box them in with just like temporary screens to make a smaller kind of room in the big room. So I think you get the impression of being a smaller group in a large room, even though maybe you are actually a pretty large group. Yeah, I definitely agree that there was something different about the vibe. I don't love saying like, yeah, something was off or something was different and not being able to say exactly what it was, but I haven't quite figured it out yet. It just felt different than the last Rails confs that I've been to. And I know Rails confs always the different one for me because it's the biggest conference I generally go to. So this one still definitely felt really big to me, but it definitely felt different than years past. I don't know what it was. Still had a great time. Still loved seeing everybody. Still got to go to great talks. But something was different. And I think we weren't the only people who noticed it. I heard it from a few others too. Yeah, I almost wonder if it's because of my experiences from the past year. Went to Sin City, RailsAss, RubyConf Mini, just even the virtual comps as well. Like maybe my palette has changed. I think it was wonderful how many first timers were there and maybe that also contributed to it as well. So like we had some people who are very experienced, been in the community for a long time. And then we had people who have never been to a conference before, but have been in the community for a long time. So I thought that was really cool. Love that they offered a scholarship to the folks who mentored through the scholarship program. I think that was a big move and something that I think definitely contributed to a positive vibe going into the conference. But it did feel different. You mentioned that some of the things that's really cool around the scholarships and working with first-time people who are joining a program that I really appreciate that Ruby Central does for RailsConf and presumably RubyConf as well is for first-time speakers. They match them up with a speaking mentor. And I had the privilege of being a speaking mentor this year for a couple of people. And it was so exciting to kind of see their talks come together getting the early rehearsal and then seeing it actually on stage and being like, wow, the kids improved so much since the the dry run that we did last week. You're amazing. I love that they do that to support their speakers. I agree, Joelle. What is your plans for conferences this year? So last night was the deadline for submitting to Strange Loop in St. Louis. So I submitted one talk there. We'll see if I get in. 
that's the next conference that's on my list. Okay. I've always wanted to go to Strange Loop. It's definitely a bucket list conference, but it's interesting that you are targeting a conference that is not conventionally Ruby or Rails. Yeah, I'm trying to branch out a little bit. Strange Loop is a bit of a weird mix of like industry and research. I'm trying to look at maybe submitting some ideas for a talk that's a little bit more theoretical rather than the Ruby ones are like very practical. Although the talk I gave at RailsConf did branch a little bit in the theoretical because we're talking about math, not just how to do authentication. How about you, Drew? I am definitely going to Blue Ridge Ruby. I think that's my next one. I should be at RubyConf out in San Diego. I've always wanted to go to San Diego, so it seems like a really good excuse. I did not really plan out my year well enough. So all the conferences that I'm like, you know, it'd be great to go to this one are now really expensive to go to because like I'd have to fly to the UK for Brighton Ruby or fly to Japan for Ruby Kagi like next week. So I think 2024 will be my big conference year. But yeah, definitely Blue Ridge Ruby and RubyConf and we'll see what else potentially pops up. Mad props to everyone from outside of the US who consistently comes to the US because Even just flying to conferences in the U.S. can be a headache. And I can't imagine going overseas to conferences. I haven't done that yet. It will happen soon, but I haven't done it yet. And I see people at these conferences that are consistently at these conferences and they're from overseas and like, dang, that's got to be tough. I agree. For me, I am procrastinating on these decisions. So, I mean... Still injured. So I had thought about Blue Ridge Ruby, but I don't think I'm going to be able to make that happen. I think for me, the two conferences that like I have in mind that I want to go to is definitely the next edition of Rails SaaS in LA. And then I'm seriously debating going to Rails World because I'm so curious what the vibe is going to be like at that conference. I've never been to Amsterdam. And yeah, you're right, Drew. That is going to be an absolute haul to get there. At least I'm on the right side of the coast to get there. (laughs) So I'll take that as a win. But those are the two that I'm most interested in. I don't think I'll go to RubyConf this year. I have been to San Diego. It is beautiful. So if you want to run a podcast panel there, I relinquish that responsibility to you. (laughs) I'm on it. Rails World is one of those... I wonder if I could pull it off going to Amsterdam because Amanda has done a great job getting me kind of excited for the idea of it. I touched on this earlier, but it seems like it's trying to be the technical version of a Rails conference where RailsConf has at least historically been slightly more around the community or around the things that aren't hyper-technical. And Rails World sort of seems that way. So it's, well, maybe I could pull it off, but still going overseas in Amsterdam would be awesome, but expensive and slightly hard to get to. Agreed. I'm interested to see what that CFP looks like. And then, of course, interested to see what that schedule looks like. And who knows, there's only going to be so many tickets available. So it could sell out before I decide. So I'm going to have to figure that out sooner rather than later, right? Yeah. So I have the strategy that I use for conferences. I don't know if either of you do that, but I will try to submit to a lot of CFPs and then go to the ones that accept me to speak. Interesting. I've done that in the past. For me, I can only go to so many conferences a year. So I really try to concentrate which ones I'm able to go to. But to your point, Joelle, I've gone to amazing places because of that strategy. I went to Malaysia. I went to Paris. I feel like 
I had an era where I was applying to a lot of CFPs and to Drew's point about 2024, like I need to come back to that. I'm not writing as much code as I was before. And part of me wants to start writing more code on the side. So that way I have reasons to submit to CFPs again. That's an interesting strategy. And I like it because I just really just started giving conference talks. And and you're already packing out rooms. Yeah, I guess. I'm sort of thinking maybe 2024 is that strategy to take is, hey, people love this game show. It's a cool format. I have a ton of ideas around keeping it new and fresh. So maybe I'll just submit it to every conference and see who wants a game show at their conference. And those are the ones I go to. Might have to steal that strategy from you. I have a feeling you're going to have a problem where you're going to get too many yeses. (laughs) We'll see. Well, before we wrap up, one thing that I did want to touch upon is towards the end of the conference, Ruby Central made the announcement that they were going to be offering a Ruby Central membership program for $25 a month. This is very different than the way the Rails Foundation is going. Rails Foundation has been very clear that like, hey, we're only taking company sponsorship at this point. We're not ready to do any sort of individual membership. We don't even know what that would look like. On the other hand, Ruby Central is launching this membership program. I'm curious from you two, how do you think the community is going to react to this? Do you think people are going to sign up? Just any sort of thoughts around that? I haven't seen a ton of talk about it. I've seen a couple of people on Twitter talking about it. Someone wrote a quick article. It all seems really positive. I think the Ruby community has always been very kind of a grassroots community. If we want to see something happen, if we want a local Ruby conference somewhere, people just get together and make it happen. And so I think we'll probably see that as well through this membership with Ruby Central. I think it fits the type of community that we are, where it all comes from people who are excited and who benefit from being able to have both a big national conference. But I know some of their goals were to be able to support smaller regional conferences, both in the US and more broadly in the world. And I think right now there's a lot of excitement about regional conferences coming back, a lot of new ones starting. And so I think we might be able to ride that wave of excitement. I agree. I'm pretty happy that they're doing something like that because it gives you a way of supporting the community that isn't... Not everybody has the time to contribute to open source or to put on a whole conference. So it's sort of a way of giving back to your community that a lot of us can do. $25 a month isn't a ton of money. And we get a lot of benefits because Ruby Central doesn't just do RailsConf. They also do RubyConf. They're supporting the development of Bundler and RubyGems. And we all use those. And then the talk of them having a program to help support regional conferences coming back is probably the most exciting part about it because I loved going to RubyConf Mini. It was nice and small. It was a great vibe. Like I do really enjoy those smaller conferences, but they're daunting to put on. Like I'm seeing what Jeremy's going through trying to put on Blue Ridge Ruby. I've been toying with the idea of putting on something in Philadelphia. Ernesto Tackworker is the guy here in Philadelphia to do something like that. And he's like, nah, I don't want to do a conference. They're too much work. They're not worth it. We're not doing it. I'm like, that stinks because I'm not going into it blind. But if Ruby Central had like a program that was like, hey, if you want to put on a conference in your local area and we have a way of you getting resources from us, that would be awesome. So if the $25 a month goes to support all the things I already use and add something that adds a ton of value, I think personally, my opinion, 
to the community, then I'm all for it. I agree. And that's something that Jeremy said during the town hall. And he mentioned insurance. It didn't even occur to me to have to worry about insurance. It's that kind of stuff that like wouldn't have even been on my radar. Like Andy Kroll's always like, hey, have attendees deal with meals. Don't get into the business of that. And so I think that was sound advice as well. But we need a toolkit for all these kinds of things. And I would love to see a workshop at RailsConf or something. I think about the talk that Justin Searles gave on day three, where he was basically trying to get the community to standardize around standard. (laughs) That's a mouthful. And yeah, I guess I, I would have liked to have seen more working sessions. And if providing money to a Ruby Central membership program is unlocking the ability to help with those kinds of things, I think it's important. I think the thing that we don't talk about a lot is that there are just a couple companies that are really funding the Ruby community. And that's always scary. We want to diversify the risk. I'm bullish about whether or not people are actually going to sign up for this membership. So I'm curious to see a report for them within six months. We'll see. I mean, they literally just announced it, but so far it's been pretty positive. I mean, if you want to monetarily support the Ruby community, your options are become a big company and give to the Rails Foundation or give to Ruby Central outside of GitHub sponsors for individual projects and things like that. But I think this is a good way of an individual being able to monetarily contribute to their community. And it's tax deductible if that makes a difference for anybody because Ruby Central is a nonprofit. So there you go. That's a good point. But also well, not an accountant. So don't ever take anything I say revolving around money as gospel. I want to thank you both so much for guesting with me this week and to talk about RailsConf. It's always great to be able to recap it while it's fresh in your mind. Again, thank you so much to the organizers for all the work that you put into it. Any sort of criticisms that we have is just because we want more. And we've been to so many conferences. It's hard to amalgamize like all the positive things across into one event. So really did an outstanding job. And I'm looking forward to seeing the two of you at future conferences. Yeah, looking forward to it. Yeah, thanks for having us on the show. You've been listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast. Follow us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded to stay in the loop on Ruby on Rails and open source software. While you're at it, please leave us a review. And thank you for listening.